How's it going, Carl? We're back for Money Wiser podcast, episode two. Episode two, that's right, already. I can't believe it, it's flying by. Right. So, yeah, and this one's cryptocurrency. This is a pretty big-time topic. Yeah, cryptocurrency. I was really impressed that the students picked this topic because it's something I know zero, absolutely nothing about. Well, before we started this, I knew nothing about it. Now I know a little bit. (laughs) I think that after listening to this episode, like, I think you'll know quite a bit. And cryptocurrency is something that a lot of people talk about, but I feel like do they really know what they're talking about? Yeah, I agree. It's something where it's been in the media a lot. You know, the past handful of years, it's definitely on the rise as far as um, people using it. But for me, just a normal layperson, I honestly have no clue how to purchase Bitcoin or any type of cryptocurrency. And just how would I use it if right. I if I had it? So this is just really interesting to me that this is something this, these students specifically thought that cryptocurrency is the currency of the future. And that if we learn more about cryptocurrency now, right. it, it can be a tool that we can use in our own personal lives just as normal day-to-day people. Right. And I, and honestly, I, when I think of cryptocurrency, my first thought goes to like, isn't that what people are using to like hack into our computers and get paid off to you know, unlock the devices that... <laughs> that basically get hacked. Um, and so, but I think it goes beyond that. I think we're going to learn about that in this episode today. So, Alyssa, who do we have leading us through the complex web of cryptocurrency? Two very impressive students, James and Kiki. And I met them through the Young American Center for Financial Education. Both of them are on their youth advisory board. And so okay. with that role, they um, they work with younger students. They make plans for how to impact the community with financial education and really just learn things on their own too before they get sent off to college. Excellent. So in this episode, we hear how Bitcoin can help people in need how banks decided if you can't beat them, you got to join them. And just how much a Bitcoin pizza can really be worth. Mm, I want some Bitcoin pizza. <laughs> do you think, when you say Bitcoin pizza, do you think of like a pizza that's made out of Bitcoin? People might think that. <laughs> that's kind of gross. <laughs> the mystery of the Bitcoin pizza. This episode is brought to you by... Safe to Tell is an anonymous bystander reporting program where any student can make and report when they fear for their safety or the safety for others. It takes courage to speak up for a friend when a friend is struggling. You can remain anonymous and take comfort in knowing you did the right thing by potentially preventing a tragedy. If you see or hear something that is concerning to you or your safety and or the safety of others, please report it. Download the free Safe to Tell app, call one 542 7233 or go to www.safetytell.org. This episode is also brought to you by StopFraudColorado.gov has been developed to protect consumers and businesses from fraudulent activity throughout our state. The website can be utilized as an educational resource and reporting tool as it contains information reflecting a wide variety of scams reported to the Colorado Office of the Attorney General. Please visit StopFraudColorado.gov to learn more, to report unscrupulous behavior from fraudsters operating in our state. Available in English and in Spanish. Hello, I'm James. And I'm Kiki. Thanks for joining us on Money Wiser today. This week, we're talking about cryptocurrency, the invisible money of the future. So with the rise of cryptocurrency and with it in the news and becoming more prevalent in our lives, Kiki and I thought it would be really interesting to teach our fellow peers about cryptocurrency. 
So Carl, speaking of cryptocurrency, how much do you know about cryptocurrency? I mean, honestly, I've, I've heard of Bitcoin and I know people that, that are passionately investing in it and they say they, you know, they're making a lot of money on it, but the kind of how it all works, not so much. Yeah, I just remember last summer the price just plummeted really quickly. That's all I heard, right. but I don't know any details. I don't know why. Don't know anything about it. So I'm really interested to see what James and Kiki find out through all their research. Um, I do know that they really got into researching and trying to find articles and resources all around cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, blockchain, and they found out really quickly that they needed to speak to an expert to find out the information that they really need to know. So that was kind of what we did. We set them up with Dusty Wunderlich, who is um, a cryptocurrency expert and has worked in the financial industry for years. So hopefully he shared his knowledge with them and, and they learned a lot through the process. Thanks for joining us, Dusty. First off, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself, where you went to school, what you wanted to do when you grew up, and how you ended up where you are today? Sure. No, thanks for thanks for having me here today. Really, really appreciate it. I grew up in uh, northern Nevada, a small town called Elko, a small gold mining town. And um, through kind of some odd events, I ended up in uh, kind of high finance uh, out of college. I went to uh, undergrad and grad school at Missouri State University and had an emphasis in finance and economics and uh, ended up getting into investment banking after uh, college and really had a great opportunity to work globally in that space and learn a lot about how global economies and capital works. And uh, it just really caught my interest right from the start. And from there, I've been involved in finance pretty much my entire career. So what kind of purchases do you make with cash um, and in comparison to with card? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, more and more, I spend a lot less with cash. I mean, now we're getting all this great technology. It's just uh, not as useful to use cash as there, but I still think cash is important. And I think when we're thinking about that, there's still 2.5 billion people in the world that don't have bank accounts that are still working through just barter trade or through cash in whatever country they're in. So I think we're pretty fortunate here in the United States is that we don't have to worry about that as much. But uh, at times, like if I'm buying something from a friend or, you know, tipping, I use a lot of cash still. And uh, I think it's still good for, you know, um, people who just want to make private transactions or people that feel safer about having uh, cash versus just uh, being in a bank account where they just see it electronically. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, technology is enabling us to use it less, but it doesn't mean that cash is necessarily a bad thing. I still think it's a very good thing and has a, uh, a very important use within economies. When you're shopping online, and you know online shopping has has had a huge surge in, in the last decade with Amazon and big online shopping companies, do you realize how much you're you're spending? Do you think you spend more money because it's so it's so easy by now? <laughs> Jeff Bezos and Amazon really changed the game there. Who would have thought an online bookstore would be where it's at today? No, no doubt. I mean, it's it's a double edged sword when you look at how our consumer purchases have gone online. In one way, it's made it very easy and frictionless. So it's easy for us to buy uh, our goods and services, which is a great thing, you know, but it can also mean that we spend things not really thinking about it. However, there's also the other flip side of the technology where there's a lot of phenomenal apps out there that 
allow you to track your budget and spending habits, you know, that you might not necessarily be able to do as easily with, you know, just a typical checking account or, or cash. So companies like Acorn and RightGuard, these are great companies to kind of, so you can monitor your behavior. So, uh, you know, it's really, you got to use kind of the technology in both ways. One, to make purchases easier, but two, and also being able to kind of monitor your behavior. So it's, uh, it's kind of what you get out of, you know, the technology and how you're probably going to, your behavior is ultimately going to be. What apps do you use personally just to manage your, your finances? Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've been a big fan of uh, Acorn. I've used Acorn in, in the past, although even the bank apps are getting better, like Bank of America, uh, which is an account I use, has their own budgeting tools within it and, and dashboards. You're seeing uh, a lot of that get a lot more sophisticated. And man, it's across the board. I mean, everything from trading apps, you know, uh, that I work with, like TD Ameritrade is where I do a lot of my trading, but you have apps like Robinhood, which is free trading now. It's made it really accessible for people. And it just goes across so many different areas. Venmo, you know, for transferring money from, you know, your friends. I mean, it just, the financial technology space just goes in so many different areas. I probably couldn't even think of all the apps that I'm using that fall into that area. So, And so with that in mind, what would you say is the difference between the online banking and those apps you use and cryptocurrency? Sure. No, it's, it's a great question. And it's an important one that sometimes gets overlooked. What makes cryptocurrency really unique is it's the first time really in human history we've seen a currency, um, you know, uh, an economic unit basically tied to a payment system. Um, we've always seen those two separated. So we've seen a dollar or a yen or some form of currency, and then we used a separate third party like a PayPal or a Visa in order for us to move our cash to one another. And what's great about, let's say, a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin is you have a unit of account, a currency tied to a payment system. And that makes it really, really unique because we're taking out the middleman in this case, which makes it expensive. So if you go and I want to go wire money to say I have family in you know, um, Brazil, and it would probably cost me quite a bit. You know, wires can cost $20, $30 per time versus if I move Bitcoin there, it might only cost me 50 cents to do that. And so uh, by making combining the payment system in the currency together, uh, it's making us transfer money much cheaper and faster than than we have in the past, and we're taking that third party out of it. So, really cool revelation that we've seen with with cryptocurrency. Can you tell me a little more about how that third party is is eliminated? I mean, how don't you have to use programs like Coinbase or, or Mt. Gox or something mm-hmm. like that to actually actually like exchange Bitcoin? Absolutely, yeah. No, the exchanges are, and like you said, Coinbase and Mt. Gox are places to where you need to take your U.S. dollars or whether it's your euro and get it into the market. And uh, those are um, centralized exchanges, which you said are third parties so uh, that allow that to happen. However, the network itself of like Bitcoin and Ethereum, those cryptocurrencies, is uh, fully decentralized. So uh, once you are using those currencies, uh, you have a network of individuals in their, in most cases, their computer hardware uh, that are verifying the transactions. Um, so that's taking out that third party, trusted party like a Bank of America that you would totally use. Now, to your point, though, a lot of people in the cryptocurrency space have looked at the exchanges as a potential threat from a decentralization perspective. So, and I think that's where you're going to see the next iteration of 
exchanges go is they'll be fully decentralized as well. So, and, and that's something I think the industry and the technologists are thriving for with cryptocurrency. I think in your, when I read your essay, I read your essay, by the way. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I got the sense that, that you were saying that cryptocurrency kind of eliminates the hierarchy that exists in the economic system we see today with, with, with this, of course, the centralized um, currency and, and banks and whatnot. How do you think that that hierarchy will be completely eliminated? I mean, can't, if, if people have the resources to be able to mine more Bitcoin, of course, they're going to start getting more Bitcoin. And- All right. So at this point in the interview, I was confused. There were so many terms being thrown out. I had no clue what any of it meant. So I asked Kiki and James to define some of the things that they were talking about. Cryptocurrency mining is actually done by a series of computers. Every single computer verifies the transactions going on on the blockchain digital ledger. Essentially, every single computer is looking at blockchain cryptocurrency payments and verifying them to be sure there aren't any duplicates. A blockchain's a list of records that are ever-growing, which are connected with cryptography. Each block has, to, has a cryptography hash of the previous block, timestamp, and transaction data. A timestamp is just like the timestamp on your individual text messages. The timestamp makes it more difficult to manipulate the blockchain and counterfeit cryptocurrency. Every single block that makes up the blockchain has their own individual timestamp. have the resources to be able to mine more Bitcoin, of course, they're going to start getting more Bitcoin. And how do you think those hierarchies will be eliminated? Yeah, no, it's a great philosophical question of where where does this all go, right? So we still have, uh, it's really the first time we've seen, at least in in modern history, uh, the ability to have competition among currencies. I mean, this has been controlled uh, by banks and central banks for hundreds of, of years now. And so this creates this really interesting conundrum that we have to think about is what does this look like? I mean, and it, it is a pure threat to a lot of governments. I mean, being able to control uh, printing money um, and basically, and, and, you know, when you look at a fiat money, the U.S. dollar that we're dealing with is effectively uh, money that is deemed legal tender by a government. Kiki, tell me what a fiat currency is. Fiat currency is government-regulated money, so it doesn't have value except for the value the government has put into it. Fiat currency began in 11th century China, and it's the dollar, the euro, anything like that. A lot of the reasons they do that is because for taxes, you know, so when all of a sudden you get these private currencies coming in that... Uh, people can then bypass using government tender uh, like the U.S. dollar. It, it's going to cause an interesting friction between those two worlds. And uh, there's a few ways that could go. That, there, there could be a way that the two private sector and the public sector work together um, to find a solution. Or it could, you know, be very, um, very, <laughs> in a way, very um, conf- a big conflict between the two. And uh, how, who is going to win out, you know, and that might change from government to government too. You see some governments already talking about, uh, adopting some of the technology around it. They realize that there are no parameters around, uh, printing money like you have with typical cryptocurrencies. So, uh, so you might see some governments that say, Hey, we'll 
adopt this idea of fixed supply of currency and put that into our own government-issued currency as well. So, and in some, they might fight it to the end. So where that all goes, I don't know. It's going to be fun to watch, though. How far off do you think cryptocurrency is from being stable enough and secure enough to be used as a, as a more feasible currency around the world? I always look at it like, um, you know, in, in any technology, really, especially one that has this big an impact is it's similar to like building a house. In the very beginning, you're setting uh, a foundation, you're framing the house, you know, and you need that in order to have a livable house, you know? So, you know, really, that, I mean, Bitcoin was started 2009. So those first few years was really just technologists building out the network, building out the foundation, the framing. And then from there, you might put drywall and insulation. You can live in it, you know, it might not be that comfortable. And I mean, we're kind of in that phase now, like, I mean, I remember the days of trying to buy Bitcoin in 2011, 2012, and I mean, I'm not a developer, so it was not easy, and it would take me hours to figure out how to buy some of these currencies, and now you can go on with a couple clicks and buy it on Coinbase, you know, so, so we're getting there, but, you know, to that finished product where we have air and heat and, you know, all the granite countertops and everything, you know, it's going to take a little bit longer, but... Um, I think a lot of what we're going to see, though, is that cryptocurrency technology is being used and people don't even realize it. So in the future, you'll probably be doing, you'll go to your bank maybe even and do a, a wire overseas and you could be using a cryptocurrency technology and not even know you're using it. So uh, I think that's part of where you'll see adoption is it's just going to be integrated in the technologies we're using already. But mass public adoption, you know, we're probably still three to five years away would be my guess. Do you think the Bitcoin bubble, I mean, peaking out at almost $20,000 per Bitcoin and, and crashing back down, do you think that'll go down in the history books, like the dot-com bubble or the, or the Great Depression or the 2008 recession and the likes? I think they're, they're very different. I know there's been a lot of um, comparisons there, and the tulip craze is another one that a lot of people show there. And at the end of the day, this is a brand new concept, brand new technology, much of what we saw even with um, the dot-com as well. And anytime you have a new asset that comes into a market or new technology, people are in you know, millions of individuals trying to figure out the value of it, right? So, and there's going to be natural volatility. Um, that's not a bad thing. I mean, we saw that in, you know, the dot-com boom, but look what we got out of that. Um, we have Google, we have Amazon, we have all this brilliant technology and we've figured out how to, you know, value technology companies. Now it took us a decade and it took us losing a lot of money in the process, but we figured it out. We're better off for it. So, uh, so I think this is the natural part of markets and individuals uh, understanding value. So, uh, so I don't think it's a, it's not like a systemic issue, like there's something wrong with it. It's just people trying to figure out value. So I don't think it'll necessarily uh, be looked upon negatively down the road. Historically, I think people look at it like that was just a part of trying to figure out value and what this is, is capable of doing. If some of the listeners wanted to, to buy Bitcoin or, or were thinking about making money off Bitcoin, like mm -hmm. investing in Bitcoin, how, how would you suggest they approach that and how much money do you think they need to start with? One of the, and I forget what the individual was, but there's one individual in uh, the cryptocurrencies, a big thought leader said, you should invest in cryptocurrency with your, you know, at the level your knowledge is at. And, and I think a lot of people are that way as you dip your toe in, you know, Coinbase is, is easily the, the best option for just getting in, being able to buy your first uh, cryptocurrency or Bitcoin and kind of dip your toe in. And then from there, I mean, we're, we have over 2000 cryptocurrencies out there now. I mean, there's just an infinite amount of complexity you can get into this and, 
Um, I think the more you get into that, the more you understand uh, the asset class, then I think the more you could probably start to invest in it and get comfortable with it. But uh, to start with Coinbase is a great spot, you know, just to go and, you know, do it. And I encourage people to go spend it too, uh, not just buy it and hold it as well. Go buy some coffee with it or something like that. So that's, uh, that's something that doesn't always get done, but I think is important because we got to test this technology out. We got to use it as if it were real currency. And that's one thing I always encourage people to do is get out there, spend it. Do you think big banks like Wells Fargo and Bank of America will be able to make the jump over to cryptocurrency? Or do you think we're going to see like a new echelon of, of companies? Yeah, no. I mean, if you had asked me that six months ago, I would have said uh, no, based on their reaction they were having towards cryptocurrency. I mean, in the last week, we saw JP Morgan was launching their own cryptocurrency after all the negative uh, you heard from JP Morgan and Jamie Dimon. You're now saying that they're actually launching their own. So, yeah, I, I think they're they have to, you know, I think they're going to have to figure out a way. And even when you look at a lot of information that the Bank of America and Wells Fargo put out, I mean, they see it as a major threat to their existence long-term. So uh, they realize they have to adapt. And as we've seen many times over, and we've been reminded with companies like Toys R Us and Blockbuster and all of these, that no company is too big to fail. So um, so they're definitely going to have to adapt. And I think they're starting to come to terms with that more and more every day. So our generation, Generation uh, the Millennials and Generation Z, have put a lot more trust into cryptocurrency compared to banks. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a very interesting phenomenon right now. And when you look at it, it makes sense. I mean, a lot of millennials and Gen Z have seen some pretty major financial crises in their lifetime. So, you know, they're is a healthy distrust of, of major financial institutions right now. And at the same time, you're having this emergence of this new concept of uh, decentralized uh, non-institutional currency come at the same time. So uh, it, it is kind of the perfect collision that you're seeing right now. And a lot of surveys you're seeing come back show that millennial Gen Z uh, see uh, cryptocurrency as a more viable investment, even government bonds in some cases or stocks. So and I think that's important from an adoption perspective because what we're seeing right now is a mass transfer of wealth from baby boomers and you know the older generation into the millennials and Gen Z. So you're going to see all these assets move to a generation that doesn't trust the typical assets all this money has been uh, invested into traditionally. So I think that's going to be where adoption really changes with cryptocurrency. It's going to be Gen Z and millennials that uh, make that leap, I think, um, into the technology. And with that decreased use of banking, do you think it will ever eliminate government-based currency? I think it can. You know, and I, again, we're going to have to take this on a you know case-by-case -case basis. You know, country by country. I think some you'll see currencies collapse and the cryptocurrency will emerge. Um, some will not. But I think what we won't see anymore is the days of like the European Union and the Euro, where you're seeing multiple countries come together. If anything, we can say, hey, that's that's kind of been a failed experiment. We now have technology to deal um, with currency in, in a more, I'd say, equitable and controlled way. So I think, will there be some holdouts of certain countries? Absolutely. Will there be some that gets eliminated altogether? Absolutely. Um, will we not see as much consolidation of countries and you know major 
currencies we'll call them super currencies i think those days are uh, well past us for for uh, you know the foreseeable future could you talk about the evolution of cryptocurrency you know it began in 2009 with this mystery man yeah <laughs> yeah no it's it's been an interesting uh, evolution since then you know watching the early days and, and again we talked about earlier is the timing of that you know subprime mortgage crisis uh, you know we had banks failing around us and uh, I think everyone was starting to question just in general of you know what is the stability around the system which was that uh, perfect entry for cryptocurrency. And, and there's a few years spent as it being a very obscure thing. And uh, while the network was being built and tested, and I mean, we're 10 years into this now, and Bitcoin has had no major hacks or any issues. So people are now starting to trust it more and more and more. But out of this concept in the white paper of Bitcoin, you know, blockchain technology really started to open up all kinds of new avenues of how this technology can be used for many different things within, you know, finance, logistics, banking, you name it. And uh, so now I think you're, we tend to just bunch everything into cryptocurrency and not everything is being used as a currency right now. Uh, they're being used for very different things. I mean, it could help prevent voter fraud in the future. We could have, you know, all of our personal information on the blockchain, you know. So there's just so many different avenues and ways now that this new technology that started from, you know, really just this bud of blockchain technology that's just going in ways we could have never imagined. So cryptocurrency is a safer option than a fiat currency? You know, that, that's debatable. You probably get a different answer from just about every person you talk to. Uh, I, I believe it is. Um, and, and the reason why is that it takes the human element out of it. Um, you know, fiat currency being controlled by government is ultimately controlled by a small uh, group of people. And there, in, in our case, in the U.S., uh, the Federal Reserve uh, is is the one really controlling our, our currency. And uh, although they are supposed to be apolitical, they're you know by nature they're humans, right? I mean, we all have our biases and you know where we think things should go. And uh, cryptocurrency takes that element completely out of the question. And you have a predefined algorithm that is, you know, basing the issuance and the way the currency is controlled. So uh, I think it takes that temptation away from us as uh, humans that, you know, tend to be a little bit biased and make mistakes out of the equation. And I think for something as important as currency and society, that's really important that we have that. With that, I would say one caveat, it does take a safety net away. It, it, it has to create personal responsibility because you're literally the bank of one, you know? So, Kiki, you would be your own bank at that point in time. So you don't have a government to necessarily fall back on. So there is inherent risk there. Um, but I think that it, pushing away uh, it, you know, away from kind of centralized authorities making these decisions to more personal responsibility, I think is 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 a good thing for society. Speaking of fiat currencies, what what is the value of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies derived from? Oh, well, it really at the end of the day, it's it's you and me, right? Um, now, what we've done is a lot of times we look at it in terms of fiat currency, right? So when we go and look at the uh, what's Bitcoin worth? We're, we're tying it back to exchange rate with the U.S. dollar, right? So uh, a lot of people think that, you know, that is just another form of fiat currency in, in itself. So, so we're still, and what I've always said is once we start pricing things in cryptocurrency, or let's say Bitcoin in this case, 
that's when we'll really start to probably truly understand what the value of it is. You know, let's take Venezuela, for example, where all of a sudden you have hyperinflation and the currency is worth nothing. So all of a sudden now they're going to price what's an iPhone worth in Bitcoin, you know, so, you know, versus the typical fiat currency that they might have been using at, at that point in time. But as far as value goes, it is it is at the end of the day and because it's a free market. It's you and me trying to decide just like a stock we would um, or gold or anything. It's uh, the value that millions of individuals are putting on it. And we're trying to figure that out constantly. So what are the cryptocurrency keys that each individual has? Yes, that's a great. So this really came out of, and, and, and I highly encourage your audience to really do I learned a lot by doing this because I'm, I'm not a developer, but when I started getting into cryptocurrency, I wanted to understand crypto uh, cryptography. And when you read its history and how it you know, started really in you know, kind of the you know, first um, and second world war and then in the 70s and 80s of how uh, cryptocurrency was, was uh, and cryptography specifically was used um, to really be able to you know, protect our information from, you know, government in, in a lot of cases you had a lot of these developers and really smart mathematicians and that were out there of like you know we potentially see governments do bad things sometimes we got to figure out how to protect uh, our information and so um, you started to see you know who this term sometimes in cryptography PGP um, uh, encryption which is that's where you hear private and public key so um, you Kiki, you would have a private key that you keep and nobody gets to see that key, right? And you hide that away. You have it in your safe or, you know, on your phone that nobody can see and a password behind it. Um, but if you want someone to send you information, maybe an email or maybe some cryptocurrency, you'll give them their public key. It's like giving them your email address. So, and you'll say, hey, send this here. And then say someone sends it to you there, but someone hacks it and gets that, right? Well, if they don't have your private key, you know, they can't get into it. Right. And so someone who keeps their money in the bank, it is federally insured. True. So why would someone want to use cryptocurrency instead of, yeah. you know, fiat currency? Great question. Uh, and this is something a lot of uh, a lot of people, you know, the common argument you hear. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize, though, is that, yes, the government does secure $250,000 FDIC insurance. We all have that. However, what effectively how the government works is they allow banks to lend more money than they have on deposits, right? So if you guys have $100 in the bank account, they might go give a loan to somebody for you know $400. And so, um, and this is how banks make money. This is how actually currency gets issued in the economy is they allow banks to keep less and less deposits on uh, against their loans. So um, the problem is, is say, you know, we have a 2008 crisis again, and all of us are like, you know, we don't trust these banks anymore. And we want to go and get our banks. If you went and try to go get all your money out, you might not be able to get it out because it's not all there. And so would the government be able to print more money and be able to give you that? Yeah, but it's going to greatly devalue it. When you really think about it, it's there to create confidence because the government wants you to have confidence in the currency. But when you take it to its logical conclusion, it doesn't have as much safety as you would think. So if there was one thing that our listeners should take away from our talk about electronic currency and cryptocurrency, what should it be? 
hopeful. And I think what has been so great about this is I mean, really all we're talking about here is it's a combination of technology and monetary policy and theory. And this has really been monetary theory and policy has been kind of just this white tower uh, economist type of uh, conversation that's been going on, you know, amongst a very small group. And uh, what I find just so cool and so fascinating is now you're getting even uh, your local developer that's developing a new app thinking and talking about monetary theory. And to me, that is, uh, just from an education perspective, money is, you know, the most traded commodity or should be in any uh, society. And for, I think, many years, uh, it's been, you know, not enough time and energy has been put into educating people on its use and its importance. So uh, I'm just hoping that this, and I think it already has sparked an interest in monetary theory for people and in technology too. But I, I hope, you know, it, you two have definitely have done that. I'm very impressed by your, your guys' knowledge. Uh, I certainly didn't know this much when I was your age, but I'm hopeful that more people uh, do that because the more great minds are thinking about this means better technologies, we're going to get better systems, better for society. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. So we've learned a lot about cryptocurrencies today, but Let's just go over the benefits and the risks. Kiki, what do you think? You know, cryptocurrency is really being considered the currency of the future. All payments are completely confidential, you know, and impossible to be tracked to a single person. But similar to using cash, there's more transparency when paying with cryptocurrency. And, you know, that could go either way as a benefit or a risk. Yeah, like, like you're saying, the lack of centralized authority and that complete anonymity could contribute to dark web crimes completely uncontrollable by governments and police as we know it today. Right, and if you lose your cryptocurrency, if you get hacked or something like that, it's gone forever. Unlike U.S. money, like your money in your bank account or the cash in your wallet, when your cryptocurrency is stolen... There is no FDIC or no government to insure that money and reimburse you when it's stolen. Yeah, cryptocurrency is still not perfectly safe. There's a ways to go before it's at that point. And on top of that, the value is still incredibly volatile. A Bitcoin today could be worth $4,000, but tomorrow that very same Bitcoin could be worth $3,000. So, Kiki... In your opinion, would you be using cryptocurrency in the next five years? I think for sure in the next five years, as it increases in safety and things become less, the, there's less of an ability to be hacked, cryptocurrency will become more open to kind of an everyday person. Absolutely. Yeah. But until then, we've got to wait for more advancements oh, yeah. and development in the technology. How about you, James? Would you use cryptocurrency? You know, I'm holding off until they, we see those big jumps in technology. Um, I think right now it's a little too risky. Um, I think it's a, it's a good way to start adapting to the future, but I'm still waiting for those technological advancements. Especially while it's so volatile. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Kiki. And I'm James. Thank you for listening to this episode of MoneyWiser. If you have any other questions on the multitude of information on cryptocurrency or have anything to add to the conversation, please reach out. Make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts and stay up to date on new episodes of Money Wiser. 
Wow. James and Kiki, you were able to mine a lot of information out of Dusty today, and that was very enlightening. So thank you so much for doing that. And Alyssa, they mentioned that they can contact MoneyWiser. What's the email address for that? So the MoneyWiser email is moneywiserco at gmail.com. Okay. So yeah, if you have any questions, please contact MoneyWiser. We would love to hear from you. So thanks for listening to this episode of Money Wiser. Catch us next week when we're going to talk about identity theft for teens. Now I'm Money Wiser because I understand affordable housing. Now I'm Money Wiser because I know how to save and budget after college. And now I'm Money Wiser because I know how to protect myself from identity theft. Now I'm Money Wiser because I know how to start my own business. Now I'm money wiser because I understand affordable housing. Now I'm money wiser because I know the difference between saving and investing.